You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 592 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. It is Friday evening, the day after the draft. None of us have slept. And uh, joining me to talk about what the Hawks elected to do on Thursday night uh, is a man who's much smarter than I am about this stuff, and that's the great Coles Wicker. What's up, man? It's going, dude. I'm a little tired, and I can't imagine you because I was talking to you at like 1 o'clock in the morning my time last night, and I had no <laughs> idea how you were still functioning. Uh, I'm not sure I was functioning. I was awake, but, uh, you know, it, we, we, I was writing about Charlie Brown on a two-way contract at like 3.20 or something Eastern time. Um, so if you have, if you have Charlie Brown takes, we'll, we'll save those for later. We'll talk about him in a minute. But, um, yeah, there's, you know, it was a busy night to be sure. We knew the Hawks, I, I, maybe, maybe we didn't know. We were pretty sure the Hawks were going to do, we're going to do something interesting, um, in the draft, whether it be a trade they, like, like the one they actually ended up doing to go up to four or a trade somewhere along the way. No one expected them to be picking where they were supposed to pick. And uh, even before the draft happened, they made two trades that were interesting in nature. But for today's podcast, we'll focus on the big stuff from Thursday. Let's just start with the big one, and that's the trade and the selection of DeAndre Hunter. Um, having talked to you and read your tweets, stuff like that, I think we're uh, somewhat aligned on the value proposition here, but what was your first reaction when you saw that the Hawks were trading the package that they traded uh, in order to get up to, up to number four, and then pretty quickly after that it became clear it was going to be for Hunter? Yeah, I mean, you touched on the key here, and it's the value proposition. It's about assessing value on the margins in what they gave up as far as 8, 17, 35, the Cleveland first in the future, which is frankly not really going to be a first. It's top 10 protected. It's probably going to turn into two second rounders in 2021 and 22. I just didn't think it was worth the haul to move up. I, I love the fit. We'll, we'll get into that. But I just think from a in a vacuum, moving up to get Hunter, who is, isn't a difference maker to me. He's a very solid player. I think he's going to be a good NBA player. He's going to be really good on the Hawks. I just don't agree with the capital that was surrendered. for. If it was Trey Young that they were trading up last Last year, I'm, I'm all for it. I'm all for moving assets at times to get difference makers. I just don't think DeAndre Hunter is that. Yeah, that's the big thing here, and I think we agree on this. I think I'm higher on Hunter than you are, but I think we also view him sort of similarly in some ways in that you're still getting a role player. You're you're, you're trading up for a role player, which, you know, I said this ad nauseum before the draft, so not really worth reciting all my opinions on this, but, you know, trading up for a role player is a shaky proposition in some ways. And listen, they didn't trade the number 10 pick. That was something that, that I thought was uh, always smart to hold on to, you know, that asset that they, that they, that they clearly wanted to keep. But they gave up a lot. I mean, you know, a lot of the reaction was over the top enthusiasm from Hawks fans, and I can see why. You know, they got they got guys that they wanted, and honestly, Hawks fans really like Reddish and Fernando quite a bit. And Hunter is someone who was clearly, you know, regularly mocked in that top five to seven range. So, the haul itself for this one night, getting three players that you really like, is not a bad thing at all. It's just the calculus of that of that one individual trade. I thought they overpaid, and that's it's fine in some ways because they went and got their guy. And I said that after the draft, like, you know, I'm totally understanding of being on board with this, both because I think Hunter's good at basketball and I've always liked him and and because, you know, there's this overwhelming sentiment that it's just second round picks and it's just Solomon Hill's contract and they weren't going to use the cash price anyway. I'm like, oh, I, I, I sort of get all that, all that stuff. It's tough for me and you. I know they're like process oriented to overlook that stuff entirely, but, you know. 
I think we're kind of in line on this. Like it's an overpay. And I think people almost understand that and don't care, which I also understand. I mean, Travis White didn't seem to be particularly worried about it last night. Like he was asked about it and, you know, he definitely mentioned that they gave up a lot. It, it wasn't a situation where they were shy at all about admitting that they wanted to get their guy. And they wouldn't got him. Yeah, exactly. I think taking back Hill, it's not really, it's not laborious for their cap space as far as not using that, but just from a value standpoint, taking on, you know, 12.7 million of Solomon Hill in this deal too. I just view everything on the margins in the NBA. There's such fine areas where you can really carve out advantages. So every decision to me matters. That's like the hinky and I guess approach to the draft and, and free agency and everything. So it one, it, on one hand, I like the fact that the Hawks got their guy on the other. I just didn't think he was this caliber of prospect where you make a move of this caliber I, I again if it was a difference maker if it was trey young and it's like this is our guy we're gonna go get him i understand that i also think that methodology is a little dangerous in certain respects like last year to me this was my interpretation of the luca trey deal it was basically like we had him that we had them both in the same tier so if we can trade back and pick up another lottery pick that makes sense and yeah. now it kind of seems like I, I you can speak to this way better than me you're way more plugged in with the hawks obviously but now it kind of seems like trey was their guy and they were just gonna get him regardless Regardless. And this year, Hunter was the guy they were going to get him regardless. Can, can you speak at all to that? Yeah, I mean, I, I do think, and Schlenk's spoken about this a little bit, that they had Luca and Trey evaluated pretty similarly. And that was, you know, if if that's the case, you do the trade um, because then you're getting a future asset. They they projected even, you know, even a year ago, they projected that pick to be from Dallas somewhere in the 9 to 11 range, which is where it ended up being. And, you know, if that's your calculus, I totally get it. So it is a little bit strange to pretty clearly admit or talk about publicly how it was sort of an asset play for you last year. They clearly liked Trey Young. They were all in on him um, and looked to be wise on that at this point in time. But, you know, it was an asset play versus this year, the asset play does not really go in their favor. I mean, if you, if you look around the league, this is not just uh, you and me talking. I haven't found anyone that thinks that the Hawks didn't overpay. Like, most people that think that. Um, there are people that like the move better, uh, obviously, and you know I, I, I still think, uh, as in terms of an overall draft, it, it went pretty well for the Hawks last night, but you know from Kevin Pelton, you know, guys that you trust to evaluate just the asset part of this, uh, Jeff Siegel, friend of the program, people that know this stuff in, in and out and how assets should be evaluated, no one really thinks anything but that the Hawks overpaid in this, in this spot, which again, it's not controversial, and also, I'm totally fine with Hawks fans being like, I don't care, we got our guys. I get that, um, but it's just that's just the reality. It, it is kind of a weird dichotomy now that you mention it. To where la- last year the Hawks clearly made the asset play, and this year they kind of ignored that. And it doesn't it doesn't make it wrong. And especially when you get Reddish, a guy that they they clearly had as a top six or seven guy in this class at number ten in their mind, getting him at ten is a huge value as well. And I kind of you know I agree with that being a good value too. And then Fernando, same thing. So you know if you want to view the draft on the whole, it looks better. I do think the asset play though is uh, not one that's perfect, and you know, we'll a lot of that stuff will just disappear. Like for a, after the next couple of days, probably I won't talk about the, a lot about the asset play <laughs> with Hunter. So I, I understand that thinking too. Like I, I got a, I got a, a message from someone that I trust that's a that's a Hawks supporter, um, that's a very very smart Hawks fan that was basically like, why do you care about this? And I'm like, well, it's just kind of my job to evaluate it. I, I, I am well aware though that you know a week from now when summer league's on the agenda and free agency's on the agenda, we're not going to be doing a ton of reevaluation of the. Trade. It's going to be more about Hunter. So I guess that's the thing that actually matters is how he plays. Yeah, I totally get that. I had some responses when I had that tweet. I said that the, the trade was brutal for the Hawks as far as just the <laughs> asset value of it. And like people were crashing back like, oh, that the wasn't going to go over well. Bat- 
Yeah. 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 The, got the response was like, oh, the draft isn't about, you know, asset value. And like, yes, it is. Like, yes, it is. Like, this is all you're, you're making bets on players. And I think some of this comes down a little bit. I mean, you're higher on Hunter than I am, but I'm still high on him. So I think it's a little bit to do with what you think his star upside is and philosophy behind moving up in the draft for non-difference makers, non-initiators. Again, if this was Trey Young, I'd be on board. Like 100%, this is a good play. But for a guy that's more of a support player, the thing is he really does complement the rest of the roster well. And this is why Travis Link keeps leaving me in these predicaments where I'm like <laughs> somewhat on board with it, but also I have reservations about some of the procedural stuff. But the, you can't really argue that overall in totality, the Hawks did well in the draft as far as the fit and getting players in positions of needs that I think are really going to be optimized playing next to Trey. Yeah, that, that's one of the reasons why you know my overall takeaway on last night's recording that I did and the way that I wrote about this was a, a pretty positive one, is that even with the asset playing and the concerns that I have about that, the fit is very good. Uh, the Hawks don't necessarily, you know, at, at some point they're going to need another top flight player probably to make a championship kind of run alongside Trey and Collins or whatever else, but Hunter is kind of a perfect fit with what they have right now especially because they need they need his defense he, sp- he spaces the floor he doesn't he doesn't need the ball there are lots of things that make this more palatable uh and that, that, i think that's a word that jeff siegel used in writing about this as well overnight it was like you know even if you don't love the process the fact that hunter is a very snug fit with what the hawks want to do makes it easier to swallow and then you fa- factor in the other two guys uh in a moment here but let's just talk about hunter the player for a minute i know we talked about him a little bit when you were on you know a week or, a week or so ago but now that we ha- now that we know he's going to be a member of the Hawks, we can go a little bit deeper here. Let's start. You know, offensively, Hunter is someone who you know was very efficient last year at Virginia. A weird scheme in some ways, and the, you know they, they play super slow, all that fun stuff. But what do you make of him as an offensive prospect, just top to bottom? Like, what's your evaluation of him as an offensive player? I think he's more of a tertiary three and D guy who can do a little bit more at times. Like he can take advantage of mismatches in the post. He's pretty good at in mid post actions. One, two dribble to the left, pull up. You're going to see some of that. You can't just switch a guard onto him. I think he's going to be able to in time, take advantage of that. But mostly you're talking about a floor spacer, someone who is going to space him in the corner, a little bit of movement, shooting flashes. He can come off some down screens. We saw some of that his freshman year, but for the most part, he's going to play off Trey, be able to run to the corners, pr- provide that spacing threat on that side. He can attack closeouts a little bit. He's a little bit bounced here in space you saw that one dunk against duke where he kind of ripped through ripped by cam reddish and then went to the rim and dunked on somebody you see pop like that in bigger space but not a good like one-on-one ball handler he's just kind of a rigid athlete so you don't see a lot of shake a lot of high level ball handling control and he loses a lot of his explosiveness in traffic when he has to kind of elevate off one and more of those isolation settings yeah, it's it's interesting. You know, advantage score is something that people always like to say about Hunter. I think his mid range game is pretty interesting. You know, some of the stuff might not translate when he doesn't have the ball in his hands so often. You know, usage rate wise, it's going to be a low usage player, which is interesting for a top five pick. I, I'm I'm fully prepared now mentally for the first summer league game or maybe the second summer league game where he takes like four <laughs> shots and has five points and people are going to freak out because he's a top five. You know, he's he's a top five pick. So I'm a little bit prepared for the fan base. Um, going the other way at times because, you know, if you, again, step back and just view Hunter as a top five pick, and again, I would not recommend this evaluation tool, but if you just think about a traditional top five pick and the way that fans are going to view that, they're going to expect, not not everybody obviously, but some fans are going to expect him to be a prolific, you know, high producing player offensively and that probably isn't necessarily what you're banking on here uh with 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 hunter obviously he can he can shoot it he has some ways to produce offensively but you know 
is he probably a third, fourth option offensively, even in a good scenario for you? Yeah, I mean, he's a fourth or fifth guy, maybe a fifth on a very, very competitive team, like a title team. But I think he can get to that fourth, maybe three and a half kind of version where you use him a little bit in the mid post. He's not going to run pick and roll, though. He's not that kind of player. He's more he can see he can make passes because he's unselfish. He's very system oriented. So if the play is in front of him, I think his feel is actually a little bit underrated, but he's not creative. He's not going out of the box and throwing like skip passes. Like I think Hawks fans were probably a little surprised with Herder last year as far as the passing and the aptitude there. Like he can make a skip pass. Hunter's not like that. He's more like the plays in front. He'll make a drop off. He'll make a kick out. He plays the right way, but he's not going to be someone who comes in and just averages a bunch of points. It's not like he's an isolation score. He's going to shoot over the top. Like he has pull up ability. Like you said, you can mostly go into his left. He can shoot over the top in the mid post. I don't know how the Hawks are going to utilize him as far as that goes. I'm very curious to see if they can tap into some of that movement shooting upside, but not the kind of prospect that you'd associate for like this dynamic wing score. Yeah, and that's it's just context dependent. I think people just need to have realistic ex- expectations for what Hunter is going to be offensively, and just live live that live within them. I suppose. What do you make of his shooting? You know, he obviously shot the ball very well this year. Three point range, I think, it was forty four percent or so. Um, that probably isn't a real number in the NBA, but do you think he's going to be a high thirty three point shooter? Like, how, how do you view him as a just a catch and shoot floor spacing kind of option? Yeah, we haven't seen a lot of deep threes from him as far as NBA range, a lot from the corners. I like him with time and space, a little bit of a slower release. I don't think it's as slow as the highlight, of course, that you see with Zion blocking his shot. But he needs to do better as far as getting into a shot quicker preparation. I'm really high on him in the Hawks just because of Trey, though, and Herder. Those guys will find him when he has openings. And I think you have to really leverage his volume three-point shooting. He's got to get shots up at a high rate. That's going to be how he scores. But I do think he's – I don't think he's this crazy shooter. Maybe he's a little bit worse than his percentages in college, which were really strong this year from three. It's not like he's a mid-40s three-point shooter in the NBA. I think he's probably more like above league average to trending towards maybe 40% optimally. But we'll see about the volume. I, I view him as a very capable shooter. I'm not someone who's like, oh, he's going to be this knockdown guy because we don't see the kind of fluidity in his mechanics, the shot diversity from extended reins. But he does just enough to where there's a very, very solid foundation. And I'm curious about the degree as we move forward. Yeah, volume wise, it's going to be very interesting as well as the as well as the range because you know ideally when Trey Young has the ball in his hands as, as the elite passer that he is, you would want Hunter to be able to space as you know not always 28 feet, but have have some options to be able to do that. Obviously, Kevin Herter has big-time shooting range, uh, and you would want, you know, ideally, I suppose, Cam Reddish and DeAndre Hunter to be able to shoot out to uh, well beyond the three-point line in the NBA. So that's something to keep in mind with this. You know, Hunter is sort of a hybrid 3-4-2. Like, I think, I, I think slash hope that you will see him in some small ball four lineups. He's not going to be, only be a three, and I think that, of course, re- requires Collins to move over to the five at some point. We can talk about that if we want to, but uh, Hunter, just dynamic-wise, it's always important to keep the things in, in the context. Is probably the best thing that I could say about his offense. Um, before we get to his defense, which I want to ask you about, I want to take a quick break, and we'll come right back talk about more with Hunter, Reddish, Fernando, and everything else to happen with the NBA draft. All right, Cole, we're back, and uh, let's talk about his defense because Hunter you know, is billed in some circles as this great defensive player. He clearly was very good on the ball. I think he's going to be good in the NBA, but then you have the block steal numbers were not great. He wasn't a big-time playmaker necessarily defensively. So what do you view him as a, as a defensive player? Because you know, there's kind of a chasm forming between he's going to be incredible defensively to where I think everyone agrees he's going to be good, but just kind of how good and how is it going to work? 
Yeah, I think he's going to be a very good on-ball defender. I think he's so technically sound in his stance, how he absorbs contact with chest bumps. He's very good at positioning. He's not a gambler. He was very... He plays a very conservative kind of defense where he's not going to give up blow-bys. He's not going to like lunge for balls and give up easy baskets and, and easy cuts. So I like a certain element of that because he's very, very technically sound. I think he's better navigating around screens than he gets credit for. He can kind of slither around picks, chasing guys off floppy actions. I, I view him more as the kind of guy where you say, go guard Paul George for 30 minutes or 35 minutes. Like That's what you're going to do. You're just going to shadow him. Uh, you're not going to be like a dynamic dynamic playmaker. He's not someone who's great off the ball as far as creating events. And that's not just the pack line. That's his general feel level. Not a good rim protector. So I think that does hurt his value at the four a little bit as far as his ability to time on the back line and like rotate over block shots. He's not that caliber of player to me. He's more of a perimeter defender. I do think, though, he's probably the best pure wing defender in this class as far as defending bigger wings. He has the length at 7'2 wingspan. He has the strength. He has the size to at least compete and make these guys work hard for shots. That's his biggest utility to me. And the Hawks need that. I mean, for a while now during this rebuild, they haven't had anybody who could really defend big physical wings. You know, Torian Prince was a similar size to... Um, DeAndre Hunter, but certainly Prince was a disappointment defensively in his time in Atlanta. Hunter is also, you know, he's long. He's really good on the ball, as you mentioned. And, you know, I agree that, you know, at, at the four, he isn't someone that's going to be dynamic playmaking. I think you will have some issues defensively when you're trying to play him with John Collins in this small ball lineup that I think the Hawks are going to be envisioning. But if he's a guy you just put on the the, the, the opponent's best um, wing offensively, that, that really helps because he's basically better than anyone the Hawks have had quite some time. It's the best way that I would put that and what I have seen from him. He's a he's a very interesting player through that lens. And, you know, that's needed. I mean, I'm sure they're banking on that. You know, I, I actually can't wait to hear Travis Slank talk about DeAndre Hunter because he's not allowed to right now with all of the weird uh, the trade stuff. And uh, it was a bizarre press conference when everyone was kind of briefed <laughs> ahead of time. Like, by the way, he can't answer questions about DeAndre Hunter. And it's like, oh, yeah, I forgot about this. Um, I'm, I'm interested to see, like, what the party line is on what they think Hunter is going to be because you know sometimes that can be instructive um, in what the GM is saying about a player it doesn't always mean everything because the GM is going to sell the guy that they just traded up for but I want to see like what they're envisioning for Hunter and that's something I actually don't know at this point I, I knew that they liked him but you know they clearly liked him even more than I thought that, that, that they did in this class so they're they're betting big on something and maybe it's just the package of traits that we're talking about but maybe they view him as a better defender than we do maybe they've view him as someone with more offensive upside than we do, or maybe it's just that they view the total package at a higher level. Yeah. Um, I'm on something locks up with you as far as I'm very curious to see what their philosophy was, what their evaluation of Hunter was. The, the fit is obvious though. I mean, like they've needed this kind of player. Yeah. A lot of people thought Torian Prince was going to be this type of player. Like Hunter's actually a good on ball defender. Like in, he's not great off the ball, but he's not bad. He's not overtly he doesn't lapse a ton. He's pretty consistent as far as like closeouts, technical defense, not a playmaker, but pretty just solid overall. I think he's going to be, I don't think he's an all NBA caliber defender though. I think that that's where I divert from, you know, Sam Vecini thinks that that's in his range of outcomes. I don't think so. I don't think he's that athletic as far as he's not a Kawhi Leonard kind of defensive stopper to me. He's not this crazy Andre Iguodala. He's a step down. He's more like, you know, maybe modern Trevor Ariza, but like before that a little bit. So a little bit more athletic, a little more nimble. Damari Carroll, he gets that comp a lot. I think he's a little bit better defensively than Carroll was. Maybe not as strong, but he's longer. I think he moves a little bit better laterally. So a very, very good defender in a very scarce position is how I'd best defend, d d uh, define him. 
Yeah, and that Sam Asini guy doesn't know anything. Obviously, no, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> love Sam, but uh, yeah, it's. I, you know, I think I'm probably higher than you, but not. I agree that all NBA is not a reasonable projection. Like, I, I think it's possible. I would not bank on that in any way in terms of his defense. Uh, you know, all, all defensive team kind of stuff is uh, pretty rosy for DeAndre Hunter. I think it's in the range of outcomes, but a, a very slight chance versus uh, more of a median outcome of just being a very good defensive player that is helpful and, um, you know, especially going on the ball. And that's that's a pretty good player. So, you know, big picture wise, yep. did you have him like, you know, what, eight or nine somewhere in there on your board? Yeah, I had him. I had him and Reddish really close at eight and nine. I had him in my third tier, so I really liked them. I think they're going to both going to be quality starters, um, and and I think I like them even more on the Hawks. That's the thing is that makes it so trying for me as far as juggling the assets versus this is like I love them both on the Hawks. This is where I wanted them to go right when LA traded pick four. This was the best possible destination for both of them, and I think they're both going to be optimizing the system. Yeah, I mean, and there's been some reporting out there on Friday that you know Hunter's camp, his agents, uh, and. Everybody was kind of rooting for the Hawks kind of hard to take him and trade up for him. Uh, that was his only workout. It was interesting to see, and I know a lot of Hawks fans took some joy in this, and I can see why as someone who's lived here so long. Not often do players want to push themselves to Atlanta to play for the Hawks. It's not a normal thing that happens, so uh, that's going to ingratiate him to, uh, to the fan base quite a bit because uh, it's pretty clear that he wanted to be here, and that's uh, that's very helpful as well. All right, let's, this, it sort of weaves together in some ways, but let's talk about Cam Reddish now because Reddish was there at 10. I think the Hawks were thrilled about that. They would have taken him at 8, I'm pretty confident, um, because that's, you know, we heard that forever, and I think the Hawks have liked him for a long time. Travis like admitted that on the record. They were tracking him back to high school. They've been a big fan of his for, you know, a year plus now. But getting him at 10 is a lot, you know, I guess it's a lot more palatable for some people. I, I had him, you know, in that 7, 8, 9 range on my board, depending on the day. Uh, by, the, by the end of the process, I had him, I had him <laughs> at 8. Um, and listen, that you know, if you get your 7th or 8th best, best player at number 10 in a draft, that's good value. And just like Hunter, like, like what you were saying, almost more so for me, I think Reddish um, as a player, I think if, if I'm his agent, if I think if I'm his uh, in, in his camp, I am thrilled that he's in Atlanta because it's it's almost a better fit for the player than the team. It's it's a good fit on both sides. But if I'm Reddish's agent and if I'm Reddish himself, I'm thrilled to be in Atlanta because it's an awesome place for him, in my opinion. I said the exact same thing on another podcast. Like it's it's great for the Hawks, but it's like better for Reddish. Like it was a really really good outcome for him as far as playing off Trey. And we've just seen. Like, again, the value of having Trey Young, having an initiator of your offense that can really just run and be the fulcrum and an engine of a team. I think that that is why the Hawks were the most alluring destination of all of these teams. It's because of him. And I think Reddish is an awesome fit. I love the pick at 10. Uh, I, again, the asset with asset play with Hunter, a little skeptical on this. This was like no hesitation. I thought it was a great pick. Great value. Um you know, getting the wing in this spot instead of a big like Jackson Hayes. We both like Goga. I like this even more than Gogo, even though I had Gogo higher on my board. For the Hawks specifically, just getting another wing here, I just, I just thought it was a huge win. Yeah, totally agree. I mean, I wrote about this too. I, I think the the value of Reddish and Fernando was very strong. You know, the Hunter thing is, as we just talked about, sort of separate in some ways, even though they all fit together. But Reddish at ten is just a very nice pick. I, I like his floor more than more than a lot of what a lot of people do. I like his defense. I was going to ask you about his defense. Um, you know, his off ball defense was actually pretty intriguing. He's very long. You know, seven one wingspan. He's a fluid athlete. Not 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 terribly explosive, but he seems to know what he's doing defensively for the most part, which is encouraging for someone as young as he is. What do you make of his defense before we get into his offense which is clearly the more uh controversial side of the ball for reddish but what do you what do you view of uh of his defense particularly now knowing that the hawks have uh, he and hunter on the same on the same team 
Yeah, no, I, I think his defense is underrated. I actually think he's a pretty good defender. He's good off the ball. I like his instincts as a playmaker. He gets in the passing lanes. He utilizes his length well. You see him make some really impressive rotations to break up lob passes. He has the range. He's not like a crazy athlete, but I think he's a fluid athlete. He covers ground well enough with those long strides. Definitely a different kind of defender than Hunter is. This is kind of what I find so interesting about their their fit together is that Reddish is a better team defender, in my opinion, as far as like playmaking, gets some passing lanes, and Hunter's the better on-ball defender. He just has better lateral agility, more technically sound. I think Reddish on the ball is something like Robert Covington, where they're not great contained defenders. He's not obviously probably going to be as good as Covington off the ball because Covington's like generationally good. But some iteration of that, I think, would be a, kind of an optimistic outcome for his defensive value. Yeah, I mean, and having these two guys together, they fit together well. They both have good size. Reddish's defense isn't why you'd take him, probably, as the like the number one selling point. I think you have to believe in his offense to take him in the top ten. But the floor outcome has always been higher for me on Reddish because of his defense. You know, the offense could yes. go wrong. And we'll talk about that now, I suppose, on the offensive side, because that's where things get interesting. Because I know you've been on record numerous times as not understanding why the I guess the ceiling hype has always been out there about his, you know, his his athleticism and his uh, super high ceiling. I don't see it either, honestly. But how does this work offensively? You know, the shooting stroke is it looks good. It wasn't great in terms of making shots, but it wasn't awful in college. The thing that he was, I think everyone agrees on, is he was a bad finisher. I asked Travis Schlenk about that actually um, at, at the podium on Thursday night, and uh, Schlenk, you know, I guess sort of gave a nod to Duke and the lack of spacing. Said said that they weren't worried about it. He, he did, and he also said that he uh, was not trying to make excuses for Cam, but that, that he played through some injuries last year. But certainly. You could tell that he was prepared for that question. They almost know that that's the, that's the biggest knock on him was the way he was just unable to finish last year at Duke. But, I mean, what what's, what's your realistic median outcome for his offense? Because that's kind of the hardest question to answer, in my opinion. And honestly, talking to everybody in the last 24 hours, I get a lot of different answers. Yeah, it's really tough. I, I think his situation, you have to really evaluate him in the context of the Atlanta Hawks and look what his role is going to be. I was very terrified of him if he would have gone to, to the Cavs or the, a team that would actually put the ball in his hands and say, initiate the offense. And like that is when you get the lack of finishing on the ball as far as against set defense, against you know rim protection when they're already there and set. You have the lack of handling, control in tighter spaces. The passing and the decision-making was abhorrent at times at Duke. Uh, he was just crashing into guys on charges. But on Atlanta, I think that all scales back because you're not going to have him initiate your offense. He's more of a secondary tertiary um, behind probably even Kevin Herter in the pecking order there as far as playmaking. And you get him more in a role where you can simplify the reads. So he's going to attack closeouts. He's going to come off movement and shoot the ball. There's a lot of shot variants, and that's what makes his projection so hard. If I knew he was going to be the caliber of shooter that a lot of people thought he was entering the college season, this would be a lot easier. I, like, I don't even know if there's like a realistic comp because he can do things off the dribble. Like He can get to that pull-up shot. His highlights look incredible when you watch him. Like The dribble step-backs, he's got real NBA moves, which a lot of wings don't have. Like, that's where the Covington thing falls short. It's like Cam can actually shot make a bit. So I don't know what that looks like if it all comes together. But in the role that he's going to play, I think he can bring actual skill level to that role. Like you don't often find, you know, a guy in college or in high school that could, you know, initiate the offense and be kind of a point guard playing in a very more refined role in more of a tertiary kind of system, I guess. Yeah, it's interesting, sort of the confluence of events that allowed him to slip to 10. You know, if he was not 
kind of just openly bad at Duke offensively, he would he would not have fallen this far. I mean, if no. if, if, if if he was allowed to be uh, even a high school like just skip Duke entirely, he probably goes higher than this. And that's it's interesting because that that can be said for a lot of guys. You know, Nasir Little is the same way. He would have gone much higher without without going to college. But you know, it's it's not not everybody gets helped by the college process, and I think Reddish is one of those cases. The question, I mean, the finishing is an obvious question, but the decision making is the one that I, I I keep pointing to. Like what you were saying about him just dribbling into traffic, he's been lauded for his ability to sort of act, act like a point forward because he did it so much in high school. I don't necessarily see that as a present skill. Maybe it exists in him somewhere, but you know, with how bad it was for most of the time at Duke, I just can't buy that as like a selling point on Cam Reddish. Maybe it works, but that's kind of where I have some trouble. The shooting, I kind of buy it. I'm not, I'm not, gonna, I'm not sure he's going to be an elite shooter, but the stroke is so good, and he's he's long and fluid. I think it's going to go in enough. I'm not worried about the shooting, but it's the uh, if you're worried about if you I guess if you're if you're banking on him to be a secondary creator, I'm a little worried about that. But they don't really need that necessarily. Like it'd be it'd be helpful, obviously, if they could have that secondary creation from Cam Reddish if it if it all works out. But if it doesn't, and he's just more of a limited offensive option. It's still fine because he's the t- he's the tenth pick. He can play defense. He can shoot it. Like it's it's kind of a weird floor play in some ways, which is just bizarre to say about Cam Reddish. But I kind I kind of almost feel that way. Like if you if you don't buy the creation stuff, which I don't really buy, I'm still okay with it, which is odd. Yeah, we're in lockstep here, and I think that is why I liked him in this range in general. Like I liked him at eight, but to the Hawks, I think his value raises because you don't run the risk of the stealing stuff not working out because the Hawks, I mean, it'd be nice, right? It's of course always good when you have as many players that can threaten in as many ways as possible. But if it doesn't work out as far as his creation ability, which I'm very dubious, dubious on as well, it's a system and the personnel surrounding him makes that fall more conducive to where he can still have a lot of value if the shot goes in. For me, it's all about it starts with the shooting. You have to have that off the catch. He's going to be a volume guy, I think, optimally running to the corners. Ability to shoot off motion and some is going to be big off those pin-down curls. He can definitely do that. He showed that at Duke. Very actually comfortable in, in the mid-range area. I think he could press that back and expand it to three. I think people just have to manage expectations. This is someone who got compared a lot to Paul George. The McGrady comparisons were just – oh, I hate the McGrady comparisons. <laughs> it's bad. He's, just, he's like not even in the same stratosphere of athlete. And once no. you get – accustomed to what he is i think that people will start to appreciate what he's good at and what he can be instead of these ridiculous expectations about like this generational kind of talent i don't think he's that but the hawks don't need him to be because they have the infrastructure to support him yeah i mean there's there's some statistical things like for instance um for the season at duke he had 96 turnovers and 70 assists and and part of that Part of this, part of that is scheme. I understand that it wasn't a great system where there was no spacing. He was the only four spacing on the floor a lot of the time, for instance. But that's still a not not a good data point to be sure. And I guess some of the some of the injury stuff that was apparently out there, the core thing that he's now been battling, it's going to keep him out of summer league. Whatever it was, maybe he was limited, and maybe he's a little bit more athletic than he was showing. But even then, he it's definitely more fluid than it is explosive. He's not he's not a, he's not an elite athlete. He doesn't have to be at 6'8 with a 7'1 wingspan because he has real size and skill. But that's something to keep in mind, too. Like, he's not a hyper-athlete. There, people have been building him that like that for a long time. You, you mentioned the George and McGrady stuff. He's not that kind of athlete. Again, he doesn't need to be, which is that, – that really helps things. But it's just always good to prep people for what they're going to see. Because I know, you know, even, even at Duke, where a lot of people saw him, they weren't 
really just focusing on Cam Reddish. There was a lot of attention paid to Zion and um, RJ with good reason. So just prepping fans for what he's might what he's going to look like, even uh, you know as a rookie, he's not going to be that eye popping athlete. But again, it's it's fine. He has a lot of good traits and. Listen, you're talking. This is, the two, both of us have him as, as, a, as a top ten player. It feels like we're kind of low in some respects, but we're we're really not. Like we like the the overall package with Cam Reddish is enticing to the point where I was actively, openly tweeting about how they should take him at ten. Like when when he was falling, it's like if they get Reddish at ten, that's great. Like that's that's the guy that I would have taken on the entire board right there at ten. So we're endorsing the pick. At the same time, it's just good to be realistic. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, again, I really support the pick. I thought it was a good process, good value in that system, especially if we're looking holistically at the Hawks moving forward. I do think Reddish brings one ceiling trait that really could be valuable to Trey, especially and its the ability to shot make off the dribble. I think mm. that is going to be something that ties into his ceiling. If he can really become efficient at that at times, not talking about like a go to creator for large stints, but the Hawks don't really have that other guy. Like this is not something that Collins is proficient at, not something that Hunter projects to be reddish is just a much more fluid athlete than hunter is with the ball like his dribble moves are much more advanced he can create better separation so if he can become that kind of shot maker just in stints i I do think that is kind of what we talk about with outcome projection that would be a more on the ceiling end and that could be something that really pays dividends for trey because trey can't do everything as far as a self-creator there's going to be certain matchups where he's going to need help and i think that Reddish on this roster, while I think Herter has an argument for a better player in some respects, I think that Reddish probably projects the best as that kind of secondary shot maker at times. Yeah, and they they're going to need that eventually. Like whether it's going to be they finally get a uh, you know a an established second star, or whether it comes from Herter and Reddish and whatever else they do, they're going to need some more secondary creation. You know. Trey's gonna have the ball in his hands most of the time because he's really good at it and he's obviously an elite passer, all that stuff. And his his shooting gravity is well documented. But they need somebody else that can create some shots, and uh, Reddish can do that, I believe. So that's a. Uh, I think that we're, we probably painted a pretty decent picture of Cam Reddish. Uh, before I let you get out of here, which I'm gonna try to do quickly, um, Bruno <laughs> Fernando is the other thing that the Hawks did in this draft after things were starting to wind down they've been pretty quiet for a long time they trade back in they've always liked bruno i've heard his name a number of times hawks fans love bruno uh, it's kind of funny I, I think i startled sam when i had him on the podcast uh last week because I, I i asked him specifically about bruno and said hawks fans love him. and he was like why i'm like they just do they, they love bruno they love bruno fernando so and they were obviously thrilled that, that they got him here you know at 34 i like the value he was around that range for me on my big board and that's that's totally fine but what do you make of him obviously he isn't going to be the high profile attention grabbing guy that the other two are but um seems like a pretty solid pick to me yeah, I had him right in this range. It's kind of a weird Hawks cult about Bruno. Like, it's very random. Like I, I, I can empathize with Sam's reaction. I totally to that, agree. It, it's, I mean, it's, it's bizarre to me too. I mean, I've kind of like poked fun at it and leaned into it a little bit, and I, I couldn't help but laugh because the two guys. I mean, maybe if you throw Bobo in there, you can get to three. But I think for me, <laughs> the two guys that they that I hear that I've heard about the most. The whole process were Reddish and Fernando, and they got them both, and and that made me laugh and smile and just kind of nod my head like, oh, that was that's just it's almost like Travis Slank was like leaning into it a little bit and was like, oh, I've heard you guys, here you go. That's hilarious. Yeah, you have the Bruno Colton, and you have the talk soon with Reddish. Every time he makes a three, that's going to be fantastic on Twitter to uh, follow <laughs> along with. 
But uh, Bruno, I, I think he's a good player. I think he really improved his freshman year to sophomore year. He was not someone I was that interested in in his freshman year. I just didn't think he had good feel. He improved a ton as a passer. I've said before, he kind of reminds me he's like a poor man's Aiton. He does a lot of similar things. He's got good touch. He's got better touch than he gets credit for. I think he could actually shoot NBA threes in time. He could put the ball on the floor a little bit. Um, built incredibly well. He looks very good <laughs> as far as physical build. Like He has that kind of frame uh, he, and he's, he's honestly a monster like seven seven four is it seven four wingspan he's like he's just yeah. he's chiseled like if you just saw that guy walking around you would you would think he was a absolute because he is he's, he's and the rebounding because of that he's just a physical yep. beast and the thing that i like again about him is the fact that he improved so much as a passer between first and second year i think he's someone that can actually play in the short role like if you have to put two in the ball with trey and you know Bruno slips. I think he can make a read out of that situation. He's very unselfish. Dribble a little bit. He's not like a highly coordinated ball handler. He's, but he can he can definitely make a read now. Defensively is where you really have to analyze his game in greater depth, considering the rest of the roster. And I don't know if I really trust him there. He's had some really good games. Like he had a really good defensive game against Michigan. I'm sure you probably saw that. But uh, his rotations are inconsistent. He can switch a little bit, but he's not like Nick Claxton as far as switching. He can do it well enough, but I don't think he's really like a, a real switch defender on like perimeter players like dynamic lead guards for example can play in space well enough though he, he does cover ground so I like that element of his game it comes down to how well can he process the game quickly at NBA speed I'm not sure I buy it but he's not bad enough at it to where I don't think he can do it yeah I mean for me it's it's kind of three questions we we, we know he can rebound all that stuff it's for it's three things for me it's can they make him a shooter in the way that they've been trying to do with all of their centers for a long time you know going back to obviously Deadman's the prime example of this but even Alex Len now they've turned him into a legitimate corner three-point shooter can they do that with Fernando we'll see that's one question um my second one would be that he turned the ball over a ton. Like I, I, li- I like the passing too, but it's not always um, the highest IQ stuff. Like he sees the yeah. game pretty well, I think. But there's been some uh, ugly instances with him with the ball in his hands. I'm sure that will uh, probably uh, slow down a little bit in a, in a good way when he's not a primary option. Because you know, in college, he was obviously more of a focal point offensively than he's going to be in the NBA. But that's something to keep in mind too. And the defense, like you said, I mean, this team needs. Defenders, they added obviously two good ones and the guys that, we, that we've already talked about. But Fernando, if you think he can be more than a backup center, he needs to be able to defend better than I think he's going to be able to. And we'll see. I mean, there, obviously the yeah. physical stuff is good and he's very long and he, he showed some flashes, but just recognition stuff, he's going to need to be a better defender than he currently is, which is not groundbreaking information for someone who's about to be a rookie in the NBA, but he's got to figure it out. Because I, I think he's going to be a, back, a backup center and be fine almost regardless because he has enough traits that I like. But if you wanted, yep. to, be, wanted to be more than that, if you thought he was going to be a mid to, mid to late first round pick and think he's going to be a starting center, that's the thing I probably circle the most. Um, maybe the shooting too, but the defense is like almost a swing skill in some ways. Like he's not going to be awful, but if, if he's if he's going to be good on that end of the floor, he'd be uh, pretty interesting. Yeah, the best proxy, again, I can offer is like a poor man's Aiden in so many different ways, like the passing, very unselfish players. But do they make the right decisions? That's what I look for in basketball is do you make the right play? It's not just about the pass. It's about what the read is. So there's a lot of IQ stuff with him that I'm very curious how it'll play out. I think he's actually going to develop a shot, though. I'm pretty I'm reasonably confident he can shoot an NBA three in time. I just I trust his level of touch there. So I like the value here. I mean, it's not like a crazy value because you're looking at maybe a backup center, but I'd rather take that guy in the second round than take him the trade like a a very dynamic asset to move up into the, the early 20s or something to take him there. 
Yeah, I mean, I'd love to know, and it's something that we couldn't ask about Fernando either because of the trade ramifications and the fact that there was a pick in there that came from the trade. So we couldn't ask, but I'd love to know kind of how all in they were on Fernando. Maybe we'll never know that, but like, you know, when, when, when did they start considering trading back in for Fernando? Was it going to be in the late twenties or were they, was there kind of a, all right, if it gets to 30, you know, in the end of the thirties, will we go up and get him? That kind of thing. But listen, I mean, he's an interesting prospect. One that is a, a, a good fit with the roster. I'll be interested to see what the Hawks do now at, at center. They don't necessarily need another center now. I mean, Dwight Debman would still be their best center if they re-signed him, but they have options now if they don't want to go that route and they don't have a ton of cap space. So that's another, that's another podcast, but Fernando, Long term, um, I think is going to be a pretty interesting find for them. Um, last thing, do you have a Charlie Brown opinion? Because he's apparently going to be on two way, um, and I, I know I, I think our uh, our good friend uh, Sam had him somewhere in the seventies or eighties. Like it wasn't like it's a two way contract, but I thought you might have an opinion. I don't have a huge one other than he just seems to be like a potential three three and D wing kind of guy. He's at least long and interesting, but I don't know. Yeah. He's really skinny. I watched a couple of his games a while ago. I don't think I've seen his tape for like five months. It's been quite a trek. But uh, <laughs> he, he kind of reminds you a little bit stylistically of like an Alan Crabb type of player. Maybe a little bit more shot making off the dribble. Hulk's but legend kinda... Alan Crabb, by the way. Hulk's yeah. current current Hulk's <laughs> legend Alan Crabb. Yeah, that might be kind of a lazy comp. I honestly can't recall like the the specific intricacies of his game. I just remember not being totally blown away. And I think I watched one of his better scoring games of the season than the beginning of the year. I can't remember against who he was playing against, but definitely a dice roll. I mean, I trust his, he looked like his ability to shoot the ball was fine. I didn't love his feel level overall as far as, I, I just remember not being enamored with his decision-making on both ends of the floor. And it was mostly the, the skinny build. You just kind of questioned, you know, what's this guy's role going to be? But, for where I mean the investment is obviously nothing so that's if he can shoot the ball and play in a system oriented game I'm very interested to see how he reads the game at a higher level I think my entire analysis of Charlie Brown and by the way I guess I haven't I guess I haven't covered this in, in news anyway since yesterday but he's a two-way contract guy for the Hawks um my entire analysis for right now until summer league until I see him more is that he is six seven with a seven foot wingspan and can shoot and that's the kind of player that I would like to take a flyer on just Give me, give me all the long wings with shooting ability. If they work, they work. It's it's a, it's a two way contract. <laughs> you know, in recent years, the Hawks have kind of gone low ceiling on two ways. Like they had Josh Majette in there, they had Jalen Adams in there this year, Alex Poitras. Um, I, I I like them to be a little bit more aggressive with those in the future, probably. And he sort of fits that bill. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, getting a wing potentially at more of a two guard than the three as far as strength. But I mean, the, the shooting indicators are really positive. I mean, 37 percent from three, you know, 84 percent from the line, basically in his college career. Like there's some abilities to gamble on. I do worry a little bit, though, that the fact that he got like no buzz and this is a wing who None. can shoot. You know what I mean? Yeah. Isn't that kind weird. of strange to you? Like as far as in the draft process, usually those guys are pushed up and there's more of a demand. Like we really even heard about him pre-draft. Yeah, it was kind of weird when I saw that come through at, again, like 2.50 a.m. I think it was Mike Scott who broke that first from The Athletic. I was like, oh, man, I guess i got to write about this now. And I went, to, <laughs> I went to find his measurables, and I knew who he was. I've seen him play a few times. But I went to find his – I was actually kind of jarred to see that he measured with a seven with a seven-foot wingspan. And I'm thinking, okay, six seven seven-foot wingspan. He's not super old. He's 21. He can shoot it. Why was he in the 80s and 90s for everybody? Like, that's kind of weird to me. I mean, again, I, I've only seen him a few times. He was not someone who was on my radar in a big way to be like a draft prospect. So I just kind of left him off all of my like deep dive stuff. But it was, as you mentioned, kind of 
weird. Maybe there's a reason for that. Maybe he just doesn't know what he's doing. I won't vouch for anything right now, and we'll see more of him, of course, in Vegas, I would imagine. But um, so something to keep an eye on. And I think just the archetype is fine. That's the kind of guy you want to sign, honestly, for a summer league slash two-way kind of investment. But uh, maybe, there's maybe there's something weird there that we're not seeing. Yeah, I mean, I think it starts with the fact he had more turnovers and assists both years. I mean, his freshman That'll year only had 30, <laughs> 33 total assists, 48. So he, he, there's got to be a reason. He's probably not measuring well in any analytics models or whatnot. So maybe that's the reason that he was suppressed a little bit. Okay, one non-Hawks thing. Okay, you can't say Brandon Clark. You can't say Brandon Clark. <laughs> what was your What was your favorite pick of the night? Um, other than Brandon Clark. Brandon Clark to Memphis is like the home run of all home runs at 21. It just makes incredible sense to everyone, including me. And I know you're even higher on him than I am. But do you have another favorite pick that or fit that you enjoyed? Um, I thought of you when Cody, when Cody Martin went like went like thirty six. I was like, oh man, Cole's gonna like that. I did. I that was, I was not expecting that. That was a me either. That was huge. early for him. Yeah, and Chuma going. I think Chuma went sixteen to the Magic. That was high for what I thought he was gonna go. I had him seventeen. I think on my board. So I love the player, but it's uh, that was a little bit. Hi, my favorite my favorite pick definitely is Boston taking Grant Williams because he's going to be running the team by midseason. He's going to literally take over for Brad Stevens and be the coach. Like that dude is just incredibly <laughs> cerebral. I love th- them taking like the big body Jack guy. They always look for the strength and the functional strength. So taking him, I really think they're going to be able to optimize him as well, and they'll appreciate just his IQ. I think there was already an interview last night where Stevens was like. This guy's like literally the smartest player I've ever talked to. Basically, like he was—he has a point guard's mind. He's incredibly cerebral. So, uh, as a, a draft nerd, we love Grant Williams. Um, just his ability to play basketball—he's just an incredible basketball player. So, picking him up at 22, I didn't even know if he was going to go in the top 40. I was talking to Vicini about this pre-draft, and I—I like, I, I don't know who's going to take this guy. Like a lot of teams are out on him, and then Boston took him, and I was like, okay, this is a great fit. I think they're going to appreciate him. So that was awesome. Yeah, that that will work in a big way. And uh, there there were a few fall over moments, fall over and with shock moments. One of them was Justin James at forty. That one uh, that one got me. Considering I think I've probably seen him play once in my life. And forty uh, is <laughs> a real pick. Like if he had gone if he had gone fifty five, it would be like okay, that's that, that stuff happens. But you don't often see someone that like everyone has like in the nineties go at forty. That was that was a weird one too. Definitely was. I was a little bit higher. He, if you watched him at Wyoming, that Wyoming team was absolutely a disgrace as far as their talent <laughs> level around him. So he was like, he was really a one man show. I think he oh, gained some funny. momentum late in the process because people realized that he's actually good. Like, I don't know if he's an NBA player, but he was college sure. good. He was just playing with a bunch of people that weren't college good in, in college. <laughs> and my and my, my son Jordan Poole sticking in the first round was uh, it warmed my heart a little bit. I wasn't, uh, you know, he candidly was not always my favorite Michigan guy, but you know, he is a Michigan guy with real talent. And I was like, I was surprised, but also weirdly heartened that the Warriors added him in the first round. First rounding, first round was early, but he's talented. I like him, so I got at least mention he's confident that on the he can shoot the ball. Yeah, I mean, he's going to be able to shoot the ball in that system. He's not. He's not shy. <laughs> he is certainly not shy. All right, Cole. Well, unless unless you have more takes, um, I guess I could. Uh, I guess I could make you grade the draft for the Hawks, but I hate. I hate draft grades. So. Uh, so do I. I think you, you know, you can correct me. I think you like it overall with the one caveat of the overpay for Hunter. But, you know, it seems like you are sort of on board and we're pretty similar, honestly, with the way we're viewing this. You know, the little things different here and there. But I'm generally happy with the way things worked out. Um, And they got three guys they wanted and three guys that I knew they wanted for a long time. So uh, you can't really argue with that, I guess. Yeah, and I think from a draft standpoint, not just with the Hawks, but the entire draft, they really saved the draft for me. You you got the two dependent, I think, 
Cam and DeAndre are more dependent-esque players to a certain extent. They're not initiators, so they need good systems to get them good looks at times. This was the best fit for them. And I think just from a draft standpoint, it was already a shallow draft. Nobody liked this draft as far as both executives. We heard there's going to be all these trades because nobody liked it, and that's exactly what we got. So getting two guys in the top 10 in really a really good situation, I think it was just huge for the class. So that's just kind of my take. I have one question for you, though. Uh-oh. Like long term, long term, John Collins, is he a five now? Because I don't know if it's tenable. And I know they're Oof. not in the stage yet as far as analyzing this, but can you play Hunter at the four, Collins at the five? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I would say full time, that would not be what I would like to do. I, I like the malleability of what they have now to where yes. you can use that lineup. Like to close games, for instance, when everybody's going smaller at the end of games, that 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 really does work, in my opinion. And uh, I am wildly intrigued to see what the five man lineup of the five man core looks like when when they run out because they're going to do that at times this year, almost certainly with Young, Herder, Hunter, Reddish, and Collins playing together. That's going to be interesting and fun to watch. Um, you know, I've long been more on the Collins can play center bandwagon than most, and I've been a little bit frustrated by the lack of him playing there. And he's played there at times, but not as much as I would have liked him to play there in the last two seasons. Part of that is, is his defense, which I totally understand. But he took some strides at the end of the year last year uh, on defense that they're kind of encouraging for me. So I want him to play center, but at the end of the day, I think just the versatility is where I keep coming back to like that you have, you have Collins that can play the four and the five. They're going to always, I think they're always going to have a center or two that they trust that they can play on this team. It's never going to be John Collins starting center for 30 minutes. I wouldn't imagine, but he can play there. Hunter can play both spots. Reddish is a really long three. Like they have a lot of flexibility now that they just haven't had in a long time. Cause you know, for all the Torian Prince stuff out there, they just couldn't play him at the four. And it was one of my most, most maddening things is that they, they, they they've never had that, hybrid 3-4 guy in this rebuild. I mean, Vince Carter is the closest it came to, and Vince Carter is 57 years old. So it's like, <laughs> I'm, I'm just excited that they have that option now. And they haven't had it in a long time. I mean, because of all the stuff that they, 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 they... Playing Collins at the 5 was always kind of untenable because they didn't have a 4 to put next to him. And now they really do have some interesting allotments, even if... And that's before free agency where they could sign another guy. I mean, they could bring in somebody else. I'm not sure what they're going to do in free agency. There aren't, there aren't that many roster spots to work with. But I do think Collins is going to remain a four as a primary, but I want him, and I think he will now play more center, which actually excites me. Yeah, I think that lineup diversity is going to be really interesting. I'm not sure if it's going to work in bigger stints against the best teams, but as far as yeah. elevating the Hawks, like I think they can take a jump last year. I was just on a podcast, and they, they asked me who the most likely team in the East was to make a leap, and I said Atlanta because I think their offense is going to be awesome. Like I think it's really going to improve in year two, uh, depending on shot variance, of course, with guys like Reddish and Hunter, but I, I do think they have a ton of, of versatility now, and I think they can make that leap. Maybe They're going to be better on defense, I think, just because of the bigger wing they're going to have they're going to have at least guys who can check bigger wings like last year that was a complete nightmare for them so yes. hopefully they can improve a little bit there but overall I, I do expect them to make a mini leap this year and it's just really tough for me to analyze the draft in full just because again of the value but as far as what they got and what they can optimize I think they're going to be able to do that yeah I always love the day after the draft June 21st before free agency I did a couple of radio hits in the last few hours and everyone's always like all right give me your projected win total for this i'm like uh, it's really hard to do that without knowing anything else on the team i do think that i do agree with you though that there's some breakout potential and listen my my stock answer when people ask me if if the hawks can make the playoffs next year is a it's the eastern conference uh and so yes and b 
you know, could they win 36 games? Sure they could. Why why couldn't they? I mean, just even with even with internal growth almost only, you know, they they were like a 33 34 win team for most of last season. Once Collins came back, they were a very respectable basketball team and they could do that again with even more growth. So, yeah, I, I think we're aligned on that. I mean, it's not going to be like they're going to win 50 games this year, but they uh, are in line for a jump and that's it's going to be fun. I mean, more than anything, I keep trying to say this out loud to myself and other people, but I'm just excited about the way this is go- the way this is going. They have a, they have a coherent plan. A lot of teams don't have plans. <laughs> Phoenix has no plan, for instance. And we've oh, seen God. that recently. Uh, <laughs> Chicago very rarely has a plan. Like all, all these rebuilding teams that have been rebuilding while the Hawks have been, the Hawks have a, mo- a more coherent plan than almost all of them. Like there's clearly they know what they're going to do. It may not work. It may not be a title contending team in the, in the near future, but they know what they're at least trying to do, which I appreciate. We just got to merge the Hawks and the Grizzlies now, just for my oasis oh, of basketball watching. That would yeah, just you be overwhelming. Yeah, you, you should just move down here. Memphis is like a five and a half hour drive. You could just pop <laughs> back and forth, like like live in Chattanooga or something in between them. It'd be great. You could just uh, do, the, do, the, do the dual commit, the dual, dual commute. It wouldn't it wouldn't be as nice as Seattle, um, but just saying, it'd be a lot of fun. Uh, listen, I'm, I, I'm excited. Memphis is going to be fun, and and I know I'm not going to try to steal you away from Memphis, but you know, Hawks fans know that we're, we're your allegiances like Cole. I think uh, you're, you're a closet Hawks fan. Now you'll be a closet Grizzlies fan and you can listen. They're in different conferences too. So you can root for both of them. It'd be fun. I'm just, I'm trying to figure out a way to combine them and then add Zion Williamson. And then we're good. And maybe Luca now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's going to be right now, man. Yeah. It's going to be a lot of fun, honestly, uh, young teams and all that stuff. Uh, well, Cole, thank you for joining me, sir. Please get some sleep at some point. Um, anything you want to plug? I know Stepien just keeps rolling into 2020 now. Like It's 365, 365 <laughs> over there. Listen, I, I admire, uh, especially like Mike's like 2020 boards coming up. There's all kinds of stuff. I'm not ready for 2020 yet, but I know your guys are always thinking about the draft, which I really uh, appreciate. So please plug anything you want to. Yeah, so you can check out the Stepien. We, like like you noted, Mike Gribbenoff posted his first crack at his 2020 <laughs> board today. So I think it was like 100 guys or something. Which is, un- which is unbelievable, honestly. I, I, I couldn't get to like seven right now in 2020. You guys are better than me at this. Yeah, Mike with the tremendous flex, dude. That was pretty awesome. Just right away, he's like, edit this piece. So you can check that out. We, of course, have some scouting reports on some of the Hawks guys. So Cam Reddish, DeAndre Hunter. I think we have one on Bruno Fernando. I'm not sure about that, but definitely those two wings if you want more information. Uh, Spencer Perlman wrote two great pieces on that for scouting reports. Um, as usual, you can check out the Game Theory podcast with Sam Bassini. I think we're probably going to be on a little bit of a hiatus with that. I think Sam needs some time off. He literally – he's had a tough week. So um, – Maybe, I don't know, two weeks after Summer League or whatnot, we might get back together there if you want information on, you know, Hawks prospects, what we saw. So, uh, yeah, check out both those and follow me on Twitter at Cole's Wicker. Listen, Cole, the door is always open if you ever want to just come talk about the Hawks. Whenever you feel like doing that, um, please do. And eventually I'll just start begging you like I always end up doing. But uh, <laughs> thanks for joining me as always, my friend. I really enjoyed it. And we'll do it again, uh, I won't say very soon, but uh, pretty soon, I would imagine. Anytime, man. This is always fun. As for everybody else, please subscribe to this podcast. Uh, probably nothing else until next week, considering it's Friday night, and uh, hopefully no big news in the next two days. But if something happens, we'll be here. If not, subscribe to the show, and we'll see everybody in a couple days.